On episode 58 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, The Power of Communication with Stacey Epstein. I can show our customers a visual map that shows people and lines of communication and where they're strong and where they're weak and where they're non-existent. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. On today's episode, we're talking with Stacey Epstein. She's CEO of Zinc, a communications platform for deskless workers. We talk about her journey from assistant to an assistant at Oracle to CEO of a tech startup. She tells us why effective communication is so important to any business. And now here's our talk with Stacey. So today on the podcast, we're joined by Stacey Epstein, and she's the CEO of Zinc. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you. Great to be here. And can you tell us a little bit about what Zinc is? Sure. We are a communication platform for deskless workforces. I will okay. explain what that means. I think we can all agree, and especially on this, on your podcast, which focuses on leadership, that communication is an essential element for a successful business. Spreading knowledge throughout an organization, sharing ideas, even good leadership is basically impossible without communication. And a lot of industries that are have workers that are in offices, are on email, sit in front of a computer for most of their day, communication can happen. And whether it's via email or some collaboration technology, or even I'm just going to grab you and go in a room and have a conversation with you, communication can happen. But in industries where there are, quote, deskless workers, thinking hotels, field service, retail stores, people whose job does not involve looking at email all day or being in a computer, and many of them are away from their peers, communication is a little bit more of an elusive goal for companies like this. So what we do is we leverage the fact that everybody has a device these days and everybody knows how to text these days. Mm -hmm. And we've built an enterprise solution that helps connect these deskless workers with their company, be constantly sharing information and be in the know while still doing their job that doesn't involve being on email all day. So how is this different from like a Slack or a WhatsApp or things like that? Great question. Slack would definitely fall under the category of a solution that's built for desktop workers. It is a a desktop computer first built application. Uh, actually, I did a little uh, a little test where I took a video camera and went out on the streets of San Francisco and I had my phone and I would go up to people that were obviously deskless workers, right? Construction workers, doormen at buildings, people in retail stores. And I gave them my phone and I said, hey, here's Slack, try to send somebody a message. And then I said, here's Zinc, try to send somebody a message. Slack is a great solution, but it's a little bit complicated there's a swipe down and a swipe left and there's channels and groups and individuals and and when you think about that worker that doesn't use technology as part of their day it's got to be something they can literally just pick up and use so again slack's great for people probably more like us but the experience is not a mobile first familiar intuitive user experience and the problem with that is that then those types of workers just won't use it 
Hmm. Now, contrast that to WhatsApp. WhatsApp is absolutely a great user experience, which is why people all over the world use it. It's a lot like texting. You can pick it up. You could use it. You could give it to anybody, and they would probably know how to use it immediately. The problem with WhatsApp is that it's a consumer app, right? Mm -hmm. It is not built for the enterprise. So there's no visibility into it. There's no way to manage users. There's no security. There's no permissions. And then the other thing about WhatsApp is that WhatsApp is great for peer-to-peer -peer communication, but there's a lot of different types of communication that happen in a company that don't necessarily happen in your personal life. For example, a top-down broadcast. I'm a manager, a leader, a trainer. I've got one piece of information. I need to get to a group of people very quickly. Maybe it's a video to engage them. Maybe it's a safety alert. Maybe it's a, a new operating procedure. Just posting that in some group means that a lot of people are going are going to miss it. You want to be able to send that almost like an Amber Alert that says, hey, new training manual. Don't need discussion about this. This isn't just one more little post in this group. This is something set aside. So those consumer apps like WhatsApp and WeChat and, you know, there's a ton of them. They're just basically not built for the enterprise. So we, I would say, are the best of the user experience of the consumer apps and the best of the enterprise security and control and features of the collaboration tools, but focused on workers who are literally never in an office with others and never sitting in front of a computer. Well, that's interesting. And when I meet someone like you and, and we jump right into what you do, in the back of my mind, I'm sure others is... How in the world did you get started in this? I mean, what's the backstory? Tell us mm -hmm. you're born very young. Now what's <laughs> happened, you know, since then? I was actually 30 when I was born, so it okay. was um, it was great. Uh, no, just kidding. Interestingly, I think my path to zinc follows an interesting transition. So I actually studied English in college. I went to Emory University, played soccer, studied English, thought I was going to be a sportscaster, of all things. And this was back in, at a time when there were literally no women sportscasters, so that tells you how old I am. But I was just determined that a, a woman should be able to do whatever she she wants and I could talk sports like anybody. So that's what I wanted to do. I moved to San Francisco after college as I was applying to broadcast journalism school and I just needed a job to pay the bills. So I happened to get an administrative assistant job at Oracle, which mm. at the time was a, I won't say small company, but an up and comer. I mean, I remember telling people I work for Oracle. It's a software company. Like no one really <laughs> knew what Oracle was back in those days. I was an admin to an admin. So it was about as entry level as you can get. And for me, it was just a way to pay the bills. But once I got there, I mean, Oracle was growing so fast and it was just so dynamic and interesting. And I saw people doing really interesting stuff and making good money. And I thought, I'm just, I'm just as smart as these people. And I realized you don't have to be an engineer to do tech. There's a lot of the skills that I have from being an English major that are applicable here. And I just basically, after six months, went for a job and then went for another job. And Oracle was a place where, well, first of all, they were really great about promoting from within. They were also really great about if you were doing well and you wanted to, you were ambitious and wanted to move up, you could. They didn't have this, you must stay in a role for two years before you can apply. They were like, yep, six months, hey, let's just leverage the talent and 
the more that people can do, let's have them do it, which I really appreciate as a leader now looking mm -hmm. back that I hate holding people back from mm -hmm. what they can be. So anyway, I was there for about six years doing a variety of sales and marketing roles, really kind of got my chops in sales, which I think led to my, my viewpoints on marketing and went to a couple smaller companies in the middle and then ended up at a company called Success Factors, mm -hmm. uh, which you guys are probably familiar with. I, I started at Success Factors when they were very small, came in to start the marketing function there. So no one really had ever even heard definitely had never heard of success factors. Success factors was all about employee performance. It started out as a company that automated the performance review process. So something that had been very manual and challenging, we made automated, which helped the administrative process. But as we grew, we built out the suite to just literally be about how can you get the most out of your workforce? How can you engage your workforce? And that was not just performance reviews, but goal alignment, succession planning, what, what is now known as talent management. That, I think, is where I really honed my beliefs about people are the most important aspect of your business they are behind everything that happens, whether it's building a great product or running a great sales team or whatever function it is, people are behind it. Even a shop floor is about the people running the manufacturing process. So I was there for about six years. We had a great run. We went public in 2007. And then I left, which I'll talk about in a second, why and where. Just after I left, Success Factors was acquired by SAP for $3.5 billion. So good run there. And, and obviously, the rest of the world valued that employee performance. I left in, tw in 2009. I had just had a baby my first, I realized that it was going to be really hard to go back to that big global traveling job and still be a good mom. That's actually really the reason I left. I, from there, went to a tiny startup called ServiceMax, which at the time had 14 people. I followed the head of sales from Success Factors, Dave Yarnold, who had become the CEO of ServiceMax. And he just basically said, hey, look, we're really small. We don't need a full-time VP of marketing, but you have a newborn baby and you probably don't want to work full-time either. So let's make the most of this situation. Come work half-time. I'll give you benefits. You can ease into it. And it was yeah, it was just a perfect solution. I love Dave. I almost didn't even really care what the company did. ServiceMax did field service management, helping automate the workflow scheduling process for field service technicians. It's funny. I remember thinking, again, I don't even really care what they do. This is kind of something I'll do while my daughter's young, and then I'll go do another big CMO job. I think I was there maybe two weeks when I realized this is going to be huge. Like this is a very neglected part of the workforce, mostly because mobile devices were just getting hot. I mean, I was at ServiceMax when the iPad came out and that mobile revolution really changed the way we can deliver technology to this type of workers. Just a couple months ago, ServiceMax got bought by GE for a billion dollars, GE being a very work field service heavy organization. So if you look at the combination of success factors and, and ServiceMax, you know, A, it's all about the people focusing on the performance of the people, and then B, this neglected part of the workforce that technology hadn't made its way to. Zinc is kind of both of those things. It's just a broader... ServiceMax was very focused on field service technicians and scheduling. 
zinc is a much broader application for, again, hotel workers and retail store workers and healthcare workers. It's much broader than just field service, but it has that same element of, hey, these people now all have mobile devices. They all know how to use them. Let's help them increase their performance and their engagement and effectiveness with technology. And that's kind of how I got to, to Zinc. From the beginning to now, you've obviously worked for some incredible leaders. You just mentioned you following one, not even knowing what he was doing. <laughs> you were following him and, you know, let me know what we're doing uh, from this point on. We always ask our guests that are on here, do you have examples of leaders or managers or people that you've worked with over the years that exemplify incredible skills and then obviously the opposite of that have you worked for people that could have used a little bit more people skills to get more effective well and i've worked for people that have both all of those combined into one person mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know when i think about I mean, obviously i'm thoughtful about leadership performance and people so i i think a lot about the people that i've had the opportunity to work with and i think i i strive to take the good from what i've seen and try not to do the bad which is not always easy you may or might may not know lars dalgard who was the ceo of success factors he's a a, a pretty well-known guy now a a VC with Andreessen Horowitz. I mean, he was definitely an enigma. In fact, I've written some articles. Uh, there's an article in Inc. about working for him and with him and all the great things I learned from him. He also was hard to work for. And, and there were times that it was really challenging. And so starting with the positive, first of all, he was just a hard charging, relentless driver very, very focused on revenue and that everybody in the company was there to drive revenue from sales to engineering. And I think we all felt very aligned around that purpose. He was a bit of an outsider to the Valley. So he was Danish, grew up in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. He had been, I, I want to get this right. He was the youngest person to ever run a country for Unilever. Hmm. Um, so he was like the GM of Denmark for Unilever. I, and I, I may not have that exactly right, but young guy, uh, I think he was like a couple years older than I was at that time. So like mid thirties. And because of that, he had this view of, I'm not going to do it the way everybody says I should do it. You know, the Valley has its ways and tech companies have their, their playbooks and I want everybody to throw those out because we're going to do it differently. It was kind of that think different mantra. But mm -hmm. I mean, he hammered it in. It was a constant force in our company. I can remember going to him with a plan for, you know, some marketing campaign we were going to do. And he would say, well, why are we doing it that way? And I could feel <laughs> the words coming out of like, well, this is just how you do it. Like I've been doing marketing for a while. This is how you do it. And yep. I learned very quickly. You could never say this is how it's done to mm -hmm. him because that would just immediately send you out of the room to go back and like rethink that. So the flip side is that sometimes that was really hard because sometimes the reason you wanted to do it is because that was the right way to do it. Right. And sure. you didn't always want to go back and rethink it. And so sometimes you had to really learn to fight for, for what was right. And sometimes those, 
go back and do it differently happened at the very last minute without very much involvement in the process. That's when it's hard. It's like, well, okay, it would have been nice to have this conversation six weeks ago before all the plans were in place. And now it's going to be painful and expensive to make those changes. So there are some things I would change about how that happened, but Mm -hmm. it bred in me a way of thinking that is to always try to think of a different way it could be done different, better. And I think that some of the things that we did, although painful at the time, because you're pushing people. And again, a lot of it's last minute, which I hated. And I was always trying to protect my team. I can remember so many times going to my team and just being like, okay, I've got to think about how to deliver this to them because they're going to freak out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so hearing from him and then having that poise to then take it to them in a different way. But some of the things that he made us do that we thought, okay, that's completely impossible. Like you just can't do that. Turned out to be huge game changers for us that that put us on the map. And I'll give an example. So we were still a small company and we were doing one of our first customer meetings where you get all your customers together and you have like a a conference. And I want to say it was maybe two months before when you're planning an event like that, you plan it well in advance. About two months before he, he calls me and he says, Hey, I want Jack Welch to give the keynote. And I'm like, uh, okay. (laughs) And again, you learn how to, take these things in stride. Cause that's, that's Lars. And I, you know, my first thought was you do know how small we are and how little our budget is. And like, I can't just snap my fingers and go get Jack Welch. So that's my first reaction. And my second re- reaction is, well, if we could pull that off, that would be pretty sweet. Right. And now remember we were selling a lot to the heads of HR at big companies. And those are the same people that just love Jack Welch. So certainly having him would be a huge attraction for us. So I thought, well, I guess we'll just go try. So we reach out to Jack Welch's team and figure out how exorbitantly much it's going to cost and that he only has this one weekend available over the next six months and it has to be in New York and it has to be this and it has to be that. You know, it was pulling every ounce of everybody on my team to figure out how to like make the tiny little bit of opportunity. Then, so we get it all set and we, we had to apply to get on. It was a big process. We get all that set. I go back to Lars and I'm like, okay, you know, I think we're going to have this done. And he says, okay. So the next thing is I don't want him to give a keynote. I actually am going to sit on stage with him and we're just going to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm not sure I'm going to get this through his team because the process was so stringent. But and to make a long story short, we, my team and I pretty much moved mountains with his team and we made it happen. And when he was up on stage with Lars, well, first of all, we had probably a thousand people come to a conference where we thought we would have about a hundred. We had the chief people officer at Wachovia do a keynote the next day who was our customer, but we had literally never even had a contact with her before. And it was literally all because of the Jack Welch effect. But also that experience of seeing Lars on stage with Jack, what he did was he elevated himself and our company to the level of Jack Welch. And what they were talking about was stuff that was important to us versus some canned keynote from Jack Welch. Now, 
some of that was my shaping. But the truth is, I would have never, ever even thought we could have done that if he didn't just push me to do that. So just bringing to life what that experience was like. Again, there were many days during that process where I said, this is going to kill me. Like I can't, (laughs) I can't go on working for Lars, but the end result was so phenomenal. So that's why I say I try to bring that kind of thinking to what I do as a leader, but I, I also try to do it with a little bit more advanced notice so (laughs) that it's a little easier on the organization. The issue with The hard parts of that is that people got burnt out and, you know, I had a baby and, and I didn't go back. Some of my peers were leaving around the same time. That loyalty of the senior team, like you can only push people for so long. So I think it's an art to try to take that, think different, do the impossible, but also do it in a way where you're going to have longevity. I would say uh, it's probably the hardest part of what I'm trying to do now is figure out when you can push and ask for the impossible and when you have to ease up just a little bit to make sure that you're not just burning out your people. Yeah. So you're there in Silicon Valley and there's kind of the the change of work cultures. I feel like people are seeing the negative side of those extremely visionary leaders that kind of push people too far, like the Uber, Travis Kalanick situation going on right now. And of course, you know, legendary Steve Jobs type of situation. And it sounds like Lars kind of fits into that. I have a big, bold vision that I need you guys to execute on, which could also make you kind of look like a little bit of a jerk sometimes. Do you see a culture shift in the Valley moving towards more compassionate or how are things moving leadership wise? Yes, definitely. There's a movement toward compassion. I still think there are two camps. I was talking to an executive candidate who was evaluating us and another company. And he said, just not sure I can work for that guy because he pretty much told me I'm never going to see my family, <laughs> which I thought that's such a crazy thing to say in this day and age. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, 10, 20 years ago, that would be the norm, especially for a man, you know, to say like, hey, your job's going to be your life. And hopefully you've got someone, your, your wife's at home taking care of the kids. Well, that all is changing, too. The picture mm-hmm. at home is changing, too, where I think more men are demanding that quality time and more women are looking for the executive positions. I think that's behind it. My next job after Success Factors, which was ServiceMax, was Dave Yarnold, totally different type of CEO. I would say fell much more on the spectrum of compassionate and reasonable leader. Did we miss some of that fire that Lars brought and that frenetic craziness? Like we didn't have the frenetic craziness at ServiceMax, but it, it bred a loyalty and it bred, I guess, inspiration to want to do well by him. Mm-hmm. Like when you have a leader that's just so good to you and listens to you and is rational and collaborative and, and all those words that I think a lot of people look for in a leader, that sometimes can inspire you to just, you just want to do well for them, right? And so I got to see what, that kind of a culture and environment is. I would say I'm probably in between the two of those. 
I probably skew more towards Dave Yarnold. It's just my nature. I would like to think I'm an empathetic person and it's hard for me to be hard on people. And sometimes I wonder, gosh, am I pushing everybody hard enough? And then I'll push more and then I'll see them back up. You know, you if you're empathetic, you could try to have a good mix of the of both. But I do think there is a, a movement in the valley. People just don't want to work in that kind of crazy shark tank environment anymore and which i think is great i'm all for that so tell us about your organization now when did it start and what what does it look like now in terms of your vision and where it's headed and what kind of team are you putting together and are you trying to build so we launched zinc just about a year ago so we're still pretty small and we've got about 25 people i'm thrilled that I've been able to attract some good senior talent. So the former chief product officer for Oracle Marketing Cloud is our chief product officer, just a ton of awesome, very senior, great experience. And we're really continuing to build out the the senior leadership team. Did you go raise capital? We did. Okay. Yeah. So we, we raised 5 million right out of the gate and, um, with emergence capital and CRV that was a year ago. And then just two months ago, we announced an $11 million round with GE ventures, first ventures, and then emergence and CRV came again, came in and also. So yeah, so we're pretty well funded right now, which is great planning to double the company. Uh, We've already added at least five people since we announced that. The more funding you have, the more customers you have, the easier it is to attract that talent. So we've really been able to get some great folks on the team. As you can tell, I'm super thoughtful about leadership and culture. And one of the first things I did on the way in was try to sit down and think through what are my values Mm -hmm. for, for a company. And I wrote them down. And then I sat down with my leadership team and I said, Hey, here's how I think about it, but I don't want this just to be mine. I want us all to own it. I work best in a collaborative way. It's actually been one of the hardest parts about going from being a, a head of marketing to being a CEO is that I I'm peerless and I'm very used to going to my peer. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, I want to run something by you. Like that's just my MO and without peers. And I actually really don't have a boss either to run stuff by. I mean, I've got the board, but that's sort of a different relationship. I really lean on my leadership team a lot to be my collaborative team. So we kind of work through the values together and shape them into what we thought we wanted to be as a company. And then we really try to live by them. And they, you can find them on our website at zinc.it. They're on the jobs page as we try to attract candidates, but there's 10 of them. They're about being transparent and authentic, seeking input from others, not just making decisions in silos. Certainly we think different and we don't do it the way it's always been done, which comes from my success factors days. There is a a value in there that to me goes to work-life balance, which is our families like that we work here as much as we do, (laughs) which I which I think is a pretty unique value. As you know, I have had one while I was at Success Factors. I had another at ServiceMax. So I have two little girls. One of the things that I strive to do is to prove that you can be a good CEO and also a good mom. Mm -hmm. And not just like, oh, I want work-life balance. I have a very specific goal. I want to be a good mom. And that probably means different things to different people. But for me, it means that I usually am out of the office between four and five every day. Now, I'm also up at five and I work plenty of hours 
after nine. But for me, that like 5.30 to 8.30 time is, is the time I have with my kids every day. And that's sacred to me. And having a job where I can do that is probably more important than any other aspect to my job. And I had that flexibility at ServiceMax. Certainly I have it now because I'm the boss, but I sort of have a bigger worldview that the kids are the future. Mm -hmm. And, and that starts with great parenting. And if we can give men and women the ability to be great parents and or whatever else it is that they're striving to do in their lives, if they're not parents, that breeds a kind of loyalty and desire to do well that I think is really valuable for companies. So it's interesting how compelling that one value is in the recruiting process, because we get a lot of people that say, hey, I just had a baby, and I'm really struggling figuring out how I'm going to make this all work. And I just say, hey, I'm pretty sure you can make it work here. And it just makes them really want the job, want to do well in the job, never leave the job. I hope that it's a a part of our culture that is at the end of the day going to help the next generation of of the children, but also help us performing and successful, which is obviously the goal for me as the leader of the company. Sure. What's the vision? What's the next three years, five years look like? What would you like to see happen? Going back to what I talked about with Zinc, we really got our start in peer-to-peer communication, almost like messaging, right? Texting, voice, video, sharing files with workers, leveraging that tribal knowledge. I would say about halfway through the year last year, we launched a product called Broadcast, which is that top-down communication. Now that we're really full-featured in peer-to-peer, we're really focusing a lot of our development efforts on building out the broadcast function, even creating a place on your phone. Because remember, these workers don't use computers. They mostly just have a phone, but they need a place to get to the content that will help them do a good job, whether that's a manual or benefits information. So building out almost a mini intranet for the phone that helps share that knowledge. So a lot of R&D effort on broadcast. Also, the third part of communication, which I didn't really go into, but is a huge area of focus for us, is the insights that companies have now that they have more visibility into what's really going on in the field. And whether that's getting a view of the conversation network, I mean, we can share a visual, I can send it to you guys, it's super fascinating, caring about leadership, you'll see how you'll, I think, agree how valuable this is to leaders, I can show our customers a visual map that shows people and lines of communication and where they're strong and where they're weak and where they're non-existent. Wow, interesting. it's really fascinating. I mean, when I, when I first saw it with my company, I thought that is so interesting because this doesn't surprise me, but why are sales and marketing not talking to each other any very much? Like I want, I want to strengthen that communication. I have a picture that shows me whether it's strong and whether it's weak. Now, you know, we sell to, to large companies. So take that on a scale of thousands of technicians. We have one customer, they have a big field service team that implements smart home technology in homes. And we showed them their conversation map. Well, there was all these little dots on the fringe of people that were not communicating with anybody. They were just little siloed dots. So we then overlaid actual names of people so that they could get insight. Now, the assumption was these are newbies, 
these are people that have it, you know, they don't know anyone. And so they're not engaging in the conversation. Turns out it was the opposite. These were the old timers that didn't really need it. They had no reason to reach out to anybody and ask a question. So they just never did. They went out and did their job. Those are the people you want in the conversations because those are the people that have the answers. So you can see how having this visibility really can help the organization. Just out of curiosity, when they dig deeper, did they find that the, the, the older people that have been there that have all the information, did the newer group not want to ask them because they didn't want to bother them? They didn't feel like they needed to get? Or was it just this... I go out, do my job. Nobody asks me any questions, so I don't offer any solutions. I just do what I do, and people leave me alone. And It was two things. First of all, there's thousands of technicians mm -hmm. at this company. So, hey, I'm a technician in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you're in Waco, Texas. I don't know you. I don't know your name. I don't know to reach out. I don't know that you know the answer to this. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening is that people were posting all their questions in groups, which is the right way to do it, right? I'm, you know, this is the Southwest region, or this is the group of people that know about the IOT enabled doorbell. The problem was that the old timers just didn't see value in even getting on the app at all. Mm -hmm. So they weren't even in, the, they may be in the group as a user, but they weren't listening or paying attention. So use, user adoption exactly. was the issue? Yeah, that was really, the big part of the issue. But what this conversation map did is it, it let this customer know where to go focus on adoption. So they could go to those guys and say, Hey guys, we got to get you on this app. It's really easy to use. It's just like texting. It's not hard. You know, I think there's this, this resistance to technology for some of the old timers. Oh yeah. I guarantee, I guarantee you they all know how to text. And that goes back to the user experience. It looks just like texting. And so, but just that extra effort of, Hey, let's, Let's practice a little bit. Let's get you on. It's not going to ruin your day. It's not going to be noisy. And that eventually impacts the performance of the whole team. So, and that's just one example of insights. I mean, we're doing trending topics. So again, like, hey, everybody's talking about the doorbell. Why? Well, because the software and the doorbell changed and it made it harder to to install it. Uh -huh. And so the technicians are all talking about what should we do about the doorbell? Well, now that I know that, I'll just put a little video out that shows them how to do it. And suddenly my first time fix rates, I'm not having to go do second installations with customers, huge impact on results. So that's the third area where we're spending a lot of R and D effort is that is the insight part of like, now that you've got everybody on this enterprise platform, how can you leverage what you know to help do things that engage them more and help them do a better job? So that's kind of where our vision is as a company. We have a couple of videos on our website of our solution in action. And, and one of them is of a hotel that's getting ready for a foreign dignitary. And there's an event, like there's a banquet and there's he's staying there. And, and just think of all the coordination of all the different hotel workers around that event. And we have like a little, it's, I think it's like a minute and 30 seconds that just shows how many different people have to communicate about how many different things to make sure that when that dignitary arrives, a lot of hotels are using those old radio yeah, walkie talkie yeah. type thing right? yeah. which has no accountability it's very noisy i mean there's a lot of reasons why why that is not a great way to do it one of the other features that we're just about to launch in fact i probably shouldn't say it but i'll say it now because we haven't even talked about it yet but we're mm. about to launch a push to talk feature okay. within our app so it could act as an actual radio 
on top of all the other things that we offer. So for those people that are like, hey, but I just need the ability to just have a walkie-talkie, you could do it in, in Zinc. That's awesome. here first. How do you spend your time? Are you strategy focused? Are you people development focused? Are you fundraising? What, what is it that occupies the majority of your focus? Well, fundraising just wrapped up for now, which is good. And and I should say wrap this round. I mean, you're sort of always thinking about the next fundraising, but when you just have closed around, that becomes less of a, a time sink. Mm -hmm. And I would say there was a two, at least two month period where that was probably 85% of my time. And that's when you've got to have a great team to keep the wheels on the bus sure. while you're just busy doing that. That's a good question. I mean, I think at this stage, there's definitely a lot of strategy that's going on. I mean, we're, we're small, right? We're just getting started. We're not well known. And there's a lot of figuring it out that has to happen in terms of processes, especially on the sales and marketing side of how do we get the word out? People don't necessarily know that this exists. There's no budget for it. This is not an approved project for 2017 yeah. with a buyer. And, a, you know, so there's a lot of figuring out how to get people to really understand the value of this. And so that I think is the strategic part of that. I'm very focused on making sure that we have a solid executive team across the board. And that means we're in the process of hiring a head of marketing. We will be hiring a head of sales. I mean, that's kind of been an area where I've really owned it. And we're getting to the stage where we've got to have some leadership in those functions. Sure. So when it comes to people, I mean, I certainly interview every single candidate that comes in the door because culture is such a big part of it. But I would say for me on the people side, it's really making sure that I've got the strong team under me that can then build the strong teams under them. And then the other part of what I'm doing is I'm just working on deals. I mean, I'm involved in these sales cycles with customers and I hope to be for, for many, many years. I think that's as a CEO, you got to be in touch with your customers and the market in, in order to make the right decisions about how to steer the company. For many years, companies like this didn't really have this uh, hard revenue target. It was throw a bunch of money at an idea and we hope keep our fingers crossed that we can show how to show a profit someday. That has changed or is shifting, I would assume. Do you all have measurements where you want to be out of the red and into the black? Is, you know, is there something that's laid out as a part of your strategy that says, okay, by this date, by this time, we expect to be in the black? Absolutely. Yeah, we have a company plan that you know, has all of the different metrics running from cash burn to revenue to, you know, there's all kinds of headcount. I think, again, back to my success factors days of goal alignment, like you got to know what your objectives are and you got to make sure that the rest of the team is aligned around those same objectives. It's a little hard at this stage. You don't have a ton of history of like, well, if we just increase this by 20%, it's like though that kind of doesn't play yeah. when you're a startup because you're just everything is focused on just getting traction. But over time, you get down to the, the minute metrics, even within each department of like, okay, well, in order to close this much revenue, how much pipeline do we need? Well, we need 10 times pipeline three months ago. And how much pipe, how many opportunities equal that? And you know, it's, yeah. it is a very metrics oriented plan. 
And I think the goal is just to overachieve on it. Less cash burn, more revenue is the name of the game. Yep, absolutely. Um, so you're always kind of walking that fine line of, well, I really need this to get this revenue. How much of this do I need to get the maximum amount of revenue? Yeah. If I'm listening to this podcast right now and I want to look at your product, experience your product, whatever the case might be, what, what would be the best route to take a look at it? Well, I'm happy to talk to you directly. You can email me at Stacy at Zinkit, S-T-A-C-E-Y, and Zinc.it, Zinkit. But also, if you just wanted to educate yourself a little bit more, we have a website. It's, again, www.zinc.it. I would say right on the homepage is a video of our solution in action. I think the homepage one is a field service video, but we also have a hospitality video on our website as well. So that's a good way to just get yourself educated. We're happy to talk to anybody who also believes like I do that communication is really elemental in organizations and especially in industries where the workers are deskless. Well, I, I truly appreciate you coming on. It's always interesting. Every time we do a podcast, we learn a lot and this is no different. We learned a lot today, but we always talk about, we, we read a lot. We listen to a lot of podcasts. We do, you know, we believe in education, obviously. Is there anything that you are reading or listening to or anything in your career that has given you some of that aha factor that you would recommend for others to read or listen to? Yes. This is a little old school, but um, I do love Jack Welch's philosophy, which obviously I learned about and saw in action. I think it, my favorite book of his is called Winning. I just love that book. It's about focusing on people and about focusing on performance. A fair amount of my time is spent just reading the news and business news, also just world news. <laughs> the next book that I want to read that somebody that just joined my team told me about is a book written about the, the Navy SEALs philosophy and it's called Extreme Ownership. Oh, yep. yes. And tech, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I haven't gotten to it yet. Maybe I'll get started this weekend, but I'm really, I like from what I heard about it, I just gosh, just taking ownership to an extreme and just knowing that you've got the ball and you have to do the most with it and not hoping that somebody else is going to do what needs to happen, just making it happen, uh, I think is just such a great principle for organizations. So that's, that's next on my list. All right. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for being on today. Like I said, always appreciate it when you talk to visionary leaders. I think you're one of them and uh, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of you in the future. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.